On this week's episode, we welcome John Long and Cash Patel. So we're here to talk about AI. I'm going to start with you, John, um, to talk about AI, the future of AI, the impact it's having, and what we should be, what are we really in store for? And what are some of the key advancements and breakthroughs in the field of artificial intelligence in recent years that encourages you, but also frightens you? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's always great to be on the show with you all. Uh, Armstrong, always good to see you. I always enjoy the quality of the conversation here. Um, personally, I'm in technology, so I'm very excited actually because I always think about what we can do with technology and not what technology is going to do to us, right? Because I think it gets it backwards, right? I think there's a lot of interesting opportunities. The future is going to look different and it's going to be a tech a future in which we can do more with less uh, in a democracy. I think these technologies are only going to democratize the ability of people to create businesses, to create new sectors of the economy. Um, will it be uh, challenging? Yes, the introduction of uh, any new technology produces challenges. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, I'd rather, instead of building a faster horse, I'd rather build a car. And I think these new technologies that are adding a lot of abilities in terms of advanced pattern recognition for doing things like generating speech um, are really powerful. Say, for example, for engineers, our country depends upon a lot of the rest of the world for engineering talent. And a lot of times they're non-native English speakers. We're an immigrant country. And these uh, AIs allow them to communicate their intelligence in a professional manner, even when they still are adult learners of a second language, for example. I think it's, it's very interesting and very exciting. Um, uh, Cash Patel, you're in this world of intelligence. And when you think about national security and you think about the drones and the technologies for militaries and fighting against enemies, um, what is it that really concerns you about this world of AI when it comes to warfare? Armstrong, it's great to be with you and uh, good to be with the panel. Uh, I agree with a lot of what John said, but from a national security perspective, uh, let's just, let me just say this as a former chief of staff of DOD, AI is critical to what we call asymmetrical warfare operations for the Department of Defense when we man against enemies like Russia and China in the cyberspace. That cannot be replaced, but it also cannot supplement human capacity um, when combined together is, in my opinion, the best way to go forward. In terms of the biggest threat, AI created by our adversaries like China and Russia, who don't operate with a law book or a panel of ethics or any care to human emotion and just want to reach their concluding factor, which is how do we damage America? That's our concern. That's why we've focused intelligence operations for so long against China and Russia, because they find unique ways to displace their algorithms, i.e. TikTok, it's not a complicated form of AI, but it's a manner of it. And they use that to cull data that is private of not just American citizens, but also to tunnel into government systems. So that to me is where AI gets problematic, but it is for American purposes, does serve a critical role in our national security interest. Pastor Bernard. Well, you know, I, I'm strong when it comes to AI. I, I'm excited about the benefits of it. I am uh, somewhat of a geek, so I've already, 
work with uh, ChatGPT, OpenAI's uh, engine, and uh, there are moral and ethical concerns that I have, uh, and along with intellectual property concerns. And I'm interested to hear what your guests uh, have to say about this, uh, uh, the other panelists. Uh, on a moral and ethical level, uh, it's now a question of feeding the information because artificial intelligence simply takes the information that's fed to it or that it has access to and it responds to a query. So if we start feeding it, let's say, false information, fake information, information that leads in a particular political direction, then AI is going to respond, those algorithms are going to respond by gathering that information and presenting an answer uh, to our query as though this information is, is true and factual. Uh, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about the fact that AI can write a paper, a, a, a dissertation, without citing sources. And in the process of gathering information from its database, it can actually plagiarize by taking information from uh, existing uh, authors and writers and making it, it, it its own. In fact, right now, there are some lawsuits that are currently in the courts because of this very issue. John Long, how do you respond to um, Pastor A.R. Bernard? I mean, I think those are all very valid concerns. Um, I think the major difference I have is about how I think of these technologies. I think it's common to think of them when they're doing things like the pastor referenced of generating articles, uh, papers that are meant to be written by university students. Um, we tend to think of these things as knowledge generation systems. And once we do, we start to worry about things like how truthful or not they are. I would actually challenge the idea that they're knowledge generation systems and think of them more as complex pattern recognition and pattern completion systems. It might sound like it's splitting hairs, but again, to go back to where how we actually see people using ChatGPT, the biggest use that I see, for example, in the business world is somebody's in a large company, they have a lot of written process, boilerplate text, and they have a set of bullet points that reflects their knowledge that they're not looking for the AI to generate, but they need to expand that into a professional sounding uh, memo within the business. So that is, I think, a fine example of technologies like ChatGPT being used as pattern completion or generation of a professional persona in an appropriate manner. Now, when it comes to the generation of false information in the context of politics, we've had a word for that for a long time. That's called propaganda. And I'll leave that to you, Armstrong. You're in the media landscape. I already feel like there's a lot out there. I mean, sure, uh, AI, ChatGPT, will be an efficiency tool for propagandists, but I mean, how much more uh, will the market tolerate? It seems pretty saturated already. Correct me if I'm wrong. Cash? Uh, yeah, look, AI is going to be a key uh, infrastructure node for our intelligence apparatus, and here's why. Let me give you an example, and but it's also the same example will serve as a check on it. We in the intelligence community generate and collect so much intelligence data in the cyber landscape that we don't have the human capacity to digest it all. And where AI comes in in a useful way is to call through some of that with a smart algorithm to make sure we peak our national security terminology into it. But the problem, of course, is you cannot replace completely human power and manning hours against a set of intelligence collection completely with AI because 
in my opinion, that's still the best there is. But the problem is we just can't, don't have the manpower to cull through it all. So there's like most other things in the national security space, not just AI alone, there's great benefits. There needs to be certain checks. And the pastor is absolutely right. The legal ramifications are something that needs to be explored for you know probably the next 10, 15 years to come as these systems get up and running. But we do, and I, you know, just want to sort of footstomp this. Um, from an intelligence standpoint, we can't supplant uh, the human uh, skill set with uh, a complete replacement um, in the AI landscape. Pastor, well, I, I, curious. I'd also like to know, um, you know, the more sophisticated the query, the more comprehensive the response that you get from the algorithms in AI. But when it comes to ownership of intellectual property, so the algorithm is there. Right, and based upon my query, it gives me a, a, let's say, a written response, whether it's a dissertation, an article that I request. Who owns that article? It wouldn't exist if it were not for my query. So do I have part ownership in the intellectual property that comes out of those algorithms, or does it strictly belong to the person who wrote the program? John? Yeah, I mean, I think we're getting at some really interesting points here, ranging from, I think, yeah, right now there's so much data out there. Um, I actually think that these AIs that can do this sort of summarizing uh, of information that currently is only really able to be done by large companies, right? The ability in this big data age to distill information in a publicly available interface, I think is actually a very democratizing effect. And then to the pastor's uh, point about IP, uh, I, I think he's spot on. There's kind of a bigger issue at play here, which is what is knowledge? And one of the things that he was really hinting at is that a lot of our current concept of knowledge and intellectual property is a creative declaration of an individual. And I think one of the new skill sets, I don't know if you've heard of this term prompt engineer, right? There's already some businesses that are looking for people that are, you know, expert, although nobody's really expert at this, at, at dialoguing with these AIs, right? A lot of the creative output of this human in the loop AI system is going to be uh, reaped by people who are good at asking questions and engaging in dialogue. I joke with some of my friends who, uh, have philosophy degrees and aren't doing as well in the marketplace as some of my tech friends. And I say, hey, you all are trained in intellectual, intelligent dialogue. You might actually be welcomed into tech here very soon. Now, who owns that intellectual property? I don't have the answer to. I'm not a lawyer. But I agree with the pastor's concern that it is how who's going to own knowledge and what is knowledge when it's in dialogue between a human and a machine? Uh, Cash, how do you respond to these conflicts and dilemmas? Uh, that it's going to be a whole new legal landscape for the mm. judicial process. You know, does the government own it? If it's a government bought algorithm from a private entity and we use it to query against individuals, then what happens? And let me give you an example that's current right now. One of our most sensitive collection tools in the FISA foreign intelligence landscape is this thing called 702 Collection. And it's up for reauthorization in Congress this year. What is 702? It was built so that we could collect uh, through the cyber capacities against terrorists overseas. But it was abused by the FBI um, as the pastor was talking about queries, where the FBI agents would query into the AI and algorithm and collect against American citizens unlawfully. Now, who owns that data? Let's put that aside. 
who accounts for the government overreach and the extended use of this AI and algorithm to unlawfully collect against Americans. So the legal process here and the judges are going to have a lot to decide. And more importantly, Congress is going to have to determine whether or not they reauthorize a tool such as 702. These AIs we're talking about do those things. And as a terrorism prosecutor, I'll be the first one to tell you I use 702 collection to safeguard this country from threats around the world. It's critical, but it's abuse is an example of where other abuses can occur in the AI landscape. And the only check we have on that is the court system in Congress. But unfortunately, those occur after the fact. Pastor, your final thoughts on this? Well, I, you know, I, I think about how quickly we're adopting new technology. It took 20 years for us to adopt the internet and normalize it. When uh, ChatGPT came out, within a week, Armstrong, they had a million subscribers. Look how quickly we are, as a culture, adopting and normalizing new technology. It's going to happen so fast where we will have more knowledge than we actually understand. John, I'm going to give you the last word because I'm coming back to Cash to talk about an entirely different topic. John? Uh, yeah, just uh, it's been great being here. I mean, I think almost the conversation around this technology is as interesting as the technology. I just leave by saying that uh, ultimately the responsibility is on us to use these technologies in reasonable ways and to safeguard against people who do not. Um, I'll conclude by saying my company, Quake Technologies, we're developing technology for the fire service that leverages AI to help them do their job. We cannot be successful as a company unless we service this use case, whereas most companies, if they come up with a use case that makes more money that doesn't do any social good, they have to do that by their fiduciary responsibility. We are hiring. We're looking to make an impact, and we are looking to show that AI can be used to save lives for the people who work hard in our community. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.